Isn't that a beautiful song? He will hold me fast. Fast, I suppose, has a few meanings. In this context, it means he will hold me close, tight. But also he will hold us fast. If we need him in a moment, he will be there. We can count on that. We're working our way through the Enneagram, which may sound like some heresy to if you've not paid attention to that. But there are nine personality types, and we've been thinking of Bible characters that seem to exemplify each one of the types. And we come today to the sixth one, so we're you know, two-thirds of the way through the nine types of the Enneagram. And maybe you found yourself, maybe you found your husband or wife. I advise you not to tell them that you've discovered what they are. Just behave differently now that you understand um, why he does what he does, she does what she does. I want to take you back to the Old Testament to a lovely story. It's the story of Ruth. And in the characters in Ruth, we have just um, a great opportunity to gaze at the need for safety and security in someone's life. So the sixth Enneagram type is the need for security. Um, by all reports, it is the most prevalent type uh, in, in humankind. More people are type six than anything else. Um, if, you, if you're interested, there are very few people who are type five. Um, interestingly, now type six, there are many, many people who would identify with this particular type. The important part of all of this is not identifying our type or understanding our types, but it's to understand the way that God has sewn together the story of the Bible. And many of these characters just um, have, have been, been sort of shone the light on so that we can learn how people live in faith, how people relate to God, how people relate to one another um, within our, our, our joint faith. And so we will do that again this morning by looking at the, the story of Ruth. So it begins, and I'm sure most or all of you know this story well, but it begins with a man and his wife. Their names are Elimelech and Naomi. Elimelech means my God is king. And Naomi, his wife, means pleasant one. And this lovely couple live in the city or the town of Bethlehem, Judah, which means the house of bread and praise. So it's an idyllic sort of a situation to begin to imagine uh, until you were told that their two boys are called Malin and Chilion. And if the names of the parents are lovely, actually the names of the sons aren't. Those names mean sickly and pining. So I don't know how careful you were in choosing your boys' names, like all those blacks over there. Did you think carefully about what these names meant? Well, would you call your kid sick or pining? Well, you would if they were born in a famine, because that was exactly what life was like for Elimelech and Naomi in Bethlehem, Judah, because their children were born into a famine. And so we're told that Elimelech takes his wife and his sons to Moab. And if we're carefully reading, we might just say, hmm, I wonder if that's a good thing. Uh, because if you were in the covenant of Israel, if you're in a covenant relationship with God, you would understand that pretty much that covenant is, is limited to the land of Israel. It's, it's, it's a promise or a set of promises that have to do with the land and the generations after you in that land and what God will do 
through that land for all the other nations of the world. Well, Moab was not part of Israel. And so when Limelech took his family to Moab, we might just have our eyes, eyebrows raised and say, hmm, I'm not sure that was a good thing. Well, in fact, when they got to Moab, things did not go well. And we're told in the story that Elimelech died, leaving Naomi a widow. And also, her two sons, who had married Moabite women, died, leaving their wives widows. So they married two women named Ruth and Orpah. So Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah were left all three widowed in the land of Moab. And almost the most tragic thing that we notice in, in the story is that there is a little telltale phrase that says, they heard that the Lord had visited Israel by giving them food. And God had, had brought the end to the famine and had brought back plenty to the land of Judah where they had come from. So Naomi decides that she should take her two, so two daughters and leave Moab and begins to make her way home to Bethlehem, Judah. Uh, as she is going, and the, the text isn't very clear, it, it actually tells us that she was going to go with her two daughters-in-law, but as she started out, she said to her daughters-in-law, why are you coming with me? Go back home to your mothers, because I, I'm not going to have any more sons. I'm old, uh, and even if I did have children, you're not going to wait until they're all grown up and you can marry them, so you should go back home to your moms. And we'll just say that this was a sad period of all of our lives. Orpah did what Naomi told her to do, but Ruth didn't. And Ruth refused to go back to her mother in, in Moab, but she insisted on going with Naomi to Bethlehem, Judah. And as the two of them arrive back at Bethlehem, Judah, the people of Bethlehem, Judah see them coming and say, isn't this Naomi? I mean, we remember her. We remember Limelech. Uh, but Naomi looks at them and says, please don't call me Naomi. Please call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full and have come back empty. So it's a very tragic story, and yet it's one of those stories in the Bible that then turns and has a tremendous outcome. And you'll remember how that um, Ruth went out to try to make some money to sustain her, her, herself and her mother, her mother-in-law. And she ended up working in the field of Boaz. And as it turns out, Boaz is what is called a kinsman redeemer. We won't go into explaining all of that today. But that's a very important role in the Israel society and, and in the covenant. And there's a lovely love story. If you like love stories, this one's a great one. Um, it, it's not the sort of thing you should replicate in your own life. So don't be telling your daughters to do what Ruth did, um, to go after a guy when he's sleeping and then pull back the covers and lay at his feet until he wakes up in the morning and says, there's a strange woman in my bed, what's going on here? But the story is lovely because Boaz takes care of Ruth. He, he tells his harvesters to make sure there's, there's more grain left on the fields um, to glean afterwards so um, Ruth can come and help herself to that. And then 
Naomi wants to know, well, who is this one? Well, she says, it, it's a person called Boaz. And Naomi says, well, he's our near relative. And as the story goes on, um, Boaz actually exercises his opportunity to be the kinsman redeemer. There's one person closer to him than him. And so he gives this person the opportunity to buy um, Naomi's land. And um, and the person says, well, I can't do that. It'll compromise my own ability to have land and so on. So you should go ahead and do it. Uh, and by the way, Boaz has said, and whoever takes the opportunity um, to have a Limelech's um, heritage also gets his widow. <laughs> Again, don't offer your sons or daughters, anything like this. It's changed now. And so Boaz and Ruth are married, and it's a beautiful, beautiful story. But in this story, there seems to be just the contrast between Ruth and Naomi, who possibly both had the same Enneagram, Enneagram type. So as we've gone through, these are the ways that we can maybe best understand what the needs are of people who are in one of these types and we've suggested that maybe this represents the whole of a human personality, but because of sin and because of the fall, um, our personalities have been marred, our personalities have been compromised, and so we maybe are fragmented. And um, the theory of the Enneagram says that one of these is likely the cabin that you live in. There are two cabins at either side. You can go and visit those cabins, but you'll probably come home to your home cabin. And there's also, uh, we said, an outhouse and an orchard. And the point of that is that the way the Enneagram seems to have been understood through the centuries is that for every type, there is a corresponding type on the circle that is the place that you go when you're not doing well. That would be the outhouse. And there is one that represents the place that you would go when you are doing well. That would represent or be represented by the orchard. So as we think about this one, there's that complicated diagram that um, nobody has asked for a copy of so far, so I'll take that for what it's worth. Um, the, the, the type six to be secure has these arrows. Um, it has arrows to nine and to three. And you see the way that the arrows face, at least where the point is, um, tells you whether it's a, a good place or a bad place. So if the arrow is towards you, we've said it's like you're saying, yes, I embrace that. If the arrow is point, pointing away, you're saying, no, I, I sort of I shun that. And so in, in the type um, that needs to be secure, when things are going well, that person may reach over to the ninth type. And we haven't even looked at it yet, but some have said that it is the ideal type of the Enneagram types. And it is, it is sometimes called a, the peacemaker. Um, it's sometimes called the avoider um, in, in terms of uh, the avoiding of conflict, the avoiding of trouble, the avoiding of um, bad events, that sort of thing. So that would be a, a desirable arrow um, to try to reach out to. When we think about Ruth and Orpah, um, let me suggest these, these might be the characteristics, or Ruth and um, Naomi, these are the characteristics of this type of the Enneagram. It's the need to be secure, as characterized by seeking security and stability, 
by fearing losing support systems, by working hard and acting responsibly, expecting the worst but hoping for the best, and by valuing loyalty and trust in relationships. Um, Ruth, when Naomi says, now you should go back to your mother, I, I'm not going to have any more children so you can get a, a new husband. Here, here's exactly what Ruth says to Naomi. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. That little formula about may the Lord do so to me, and worse, if I... That's covenant language. So when you made a covenant, and... Um, Weekend by weekend, as I married people, I, I say, um, these rings are the sign of your marriage covenant. And the couple usually looks at me like, what? And I say, well, we don't say the word covenant very often. But what we mean is that you have looked deep into your soul and you've made a commitment. You've made a commitment to be faithful to one person for the rest of your life. That's what your marriage covenant is. And covenant comes from the Bible. And there are all kinds of examples of the covenant relationships between people. Um, usually they were started by the, the stronger party, and a weaker party, party would be welcomed or invited into the covenant. But as the covenant was, was kind of articulated, there would be this little curse statement that says, if I don't keep the terms of the covenant, may this happen to me and worse. And what happened was that they would normally walk through, good thing the children are gone, you would take a cow or an ox or something, you would cut it in half, and you'd walk through the middle of it and say, may the Lord do so to me and more if I break the covenant. I don't bring that up at weddings. Um, Ruth says, Naomi, I, I want to own your faith. I want to be in a covenant relationship with you, including your faith, including your relationship with God. And she became um, a true Israelite in that sense when she said to Naomi, I, I'm not ever going to leave you. For Ruth, um, the need was the same as that that Naomi had, which was security. Um, and all of us probably would say, well, hmm, I think maybe that's what I am too, because safety and security, and particularly these days, um, are, are human desires where, where we don't like to be in an unsettled state. We don't like to have turmoil. We don't like to wonder and worry about what's coming down the road. We would like to be safe and secure. We would like our families to be safe and secure. And I think probably all moms would, would be saying, yes, for sure, I want my children to be safe and secure. Um, my kids are cops, along with your husband, and I'm sure that somewhere in there was the desire for safety and security. Just knowing that things would be constant and safe, and we all get unsettled when days like this are upon us for the various reasons that we know. But... Ruth and Naomi um, took different approaches 
to looking for that safety and security. Maybe it's representative of, of their, their arrows and where they go from their type. But when Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem Judah, they left the safety and security. Ironically, they left safety and security to go to a place that would not be the site of God's blessing. They left because there were problems. They left because they didn't see that they could be safe and secure. And Elimelech, whatever his type was, decided that the wisest thing would be to go to, to Moab, and he, he took his family there. When Naomi heard that Bethlehem Judah had been visited by God and, and food had come, um, she thought the smartest thing to do for safety and security would be to go there. But then she thought about her daughters-in-law and thought, well, is that the best thing for them? Um, and the best thing for them, she thought, would be that they should go home to their mothers in Moab. Now, Naomi knew that her sons, uh, along with her husband, had been part of the covenant of Israel. She knew that they had married Moabite women, and to whatever degree she understood the purpose of the covenant, she might have grasped that the reason God favored Israel was not to show favoritism to Israel, but to bless the whole world through Israel. And so Abraham was promised that all the nations of, of the earth would be blessed through him, through the Abrahamic covenant. And so Naomi may have had some understanding of that, and yet she was really defying that in, in her pursuit um, in, in kind of a dysfunctional way to be safe and secure. On the other hand, um, Ruth, who also has that desire for safety and security, plays it out in a very admirable way. Um, she takes a risk every now and then, and at various strategic points in her life, she takes a major risk, and she takes that risk in the context of her covenant relationship with God. Um, she has owned that by her relationship with her mother-in-law. She has declared that this will be her, her God, her, her mother-in-law's faith will be her faith, and she's never going to leave her. She's, she's going to be constantly there as a trusted, dependable friend, which is one of the main characteristics of, of this Enneagram type. And when they get back to Bethlehem Judah, she is a very honorable daughter-in-law who goes out to try to sustain um, the, the little family that it was then by employment. And she goes and she works in Boaz's fields and then she pays attention to what her mother-in-law is telling her because it is true of this covenant relationship that people have with one another and with those who were their near relatives. And so Ruth um, also lives with this desire to be safe and secure, but she does it in a way that is not um, with her own means um, put to work. And many times we find ourselves in, in those dilemmas that our safety and security, our stability is threatened, our future is threatened, and so we, we do the prayer to heaven thing, you know, the guy hanging on the sapling, falling off the cliff, he calls out and says, God help me, and God says, let go of the, the sapling, and the person says, is there anybody else up there? 
Because when push comes to shove, we revert to our own means. We'll, we'll try our very best to do it our way. We, we maybe don't like to have to ask for help, but even at that, we're, we're inclined to say, I'm, I'm sure I can do this. And Elimelech went to his own means. Um, Naomi went to her own, her own means. But Ruth didn't. Ruth seemed to defer to the right way of living in this covenant relationship that she has now entered. Um, and, and so we may have these dilemmas where we would think of, how can I fix this? Uh, maybe we do go to the worst case scenario and say, okay, let's, let's make sure we have a strategy in place if the worst thing should happen. And then we can take a deep breath and say, okay, let it come. Um, whereas in the Christian faith, we also have the opportunity to live more into a Ruth-like dependence on the provisions of the covenant that God has welcomed her into as we explore our new covenant relationship in Christ. Now, I'm talking all over myself here to get to this point where I think that there is in the New Testament something that the covenant, the new covenant now, provides to us that is the means of safety and security, of stability, of peace of mind, of a quiet heart, of a faithful heart, um, as, as we turn to what our religion promises to us and provides to us. The lovely story of Ruth is the lovely story of God being faithful to his people. He visited Bethlehem, Judah. They did have a famine, but then God visited them and brought them relief. Um, Ruth's story was a tragic story, but God had not overlooked Ruth's story. God had Boaz in mind. And then through Ruth, we find the lineage of Christ himself. It's a, a wonderful turn there. And that brings us to think about the new covenant and the fact that just as surely as God was interested in living by the covenant and its terms in the Old Testament, the new covenant has now come, which is what God has done because the first covenant failed. Um, not that it failed on its surface, but that we failed. Um, the prophets said, all the things that you promised in, in your covenant relationship with God, you've, you've failed about. You've, you've broken everything. Um, you've taken my name, God says, and you've made a mockery of it. You've, you've made the nations have disdain for my name because of the way you've lived. So in Ezekiel, God says, and in Isaiah, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to make a new covenant. And I'm going to make a new covenant whereby I will fix the problem of the old covenant, which was that your heart was bad. It wasn't that the covenant was bad, but that your hearts were bad. You, you need a new heart. And so I'm going to do something new. I'm going to give you the forgiveness of your sins, all of the things that you failed. And I'm going to put my spirit in you, and he will move you to live my way, uh, and I'm going to give you new hearts. And in the new covenant, um, we have been provided with all that we need for what we used to call eternal security. 
Eternal security is one of those reformed doctrines that somehow is able to say that if you just pray a prayer, you're good forever. Um, we, we say, sort of jokingly, that if you have to count on the doctrine of eternal security, you, you probably shouldn't feel as though you can count on it if you feel like you have to or will need to. Um, we'll get into that some other time. But the eternal security, properly understood, is the fact that what Jesus has done has made us eternally secure. Um, we have been given eternal life. We have been given a new heart. We've been given the very spirit of God to live in and through us. And no matter what comes our way, um, when we panic towards security and safety, then the teachings and the provisions of the new covenant can come rushing to our, to our aid. Here are just a couple of places where um, I find myself turning. Um, you'll remember a few months ago we, we talked about the nature of the, of the human person being body, soul, and spirit. And the verse in Romans that, that attracts me is Romans 8.16, which says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Um, how do we know what we know? Um, I, I enjoy watching the debates between atheists and Christians, usually because the atheists win be, because they're nicer people. No, I'm not I'm being facetious, but I cannot prove my faith. And I have gone through times in my life where I think it through again and again and again, and there's enough of a five in me that worries and thinks and says, what if, and provides a new hypothesis or a new idea, uh, only every time for me to circle back to this simple truth, that in my spirit, I have the witness of God's spirit that I'm his child. I, I, I then can go out and say, now, do I understand and believe all of this? At the end of my emails, I say, I know enough to believe, not to understand. I don't understand many things, but I know enough to believe, and I am confirmed in my spirit that I am a, a child of God, a son of God. Um, that is the spiritual part of me. That's not my mind. Um, that's not my soul. My soul may be m more my emotions and, and even personality, but my spirit is that part of me um, that I have a sense of that is apart from the body I'm living in. Th that is something that, that I'm convinced in, in my own spirit transcends this body and this life. And I not, cannot prove those things, except the new covenant has promised me that the Spirit himself testifies that I am a child of God. Other versions say bears witness, which is fine, but I love the verb testifies. Who, who testifies in court? Um, the person who has witnessed something gives testimony to that. And the Spirit testifies to my spirit that Jesus has died for my sins, was raised for my justification, and that he's coming back as my Savior and my King. Another place, 
um, when Jesus is talking about things that rhyme true in this as well. Uh, I, I, I could have gone to John 17 where he prays to the Father and he says, I've kept all the ones you gave me and I want them to come and be with me and so on. But I like this from John chapter 10. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. By the way, I and the Father are one. There is just a little couple of verses about the security that we can know, um, that we can know in our spirits, that we understand the voice of our shepherd and he knows us. He, he knows us by name. He, he knows us by character. He, he knows us all of our history. He knows all the sins, all of the sins, we, sins we've even thought of. He knows all those things. And still he says, I, I'm your shepherd and you're my sheep and you hear my voice and I know you. Uh, growing up in Northern Ireland, there are more sheep in Northern Ireland than people. I, I think that's actually true. Maybe also true of New Zealand, Australia, I don't know. But there are sheep everywhere. You know, there are f flocks of sheep. You, you can't drive anywhere without getting stopped um, by a flock of sheep. They've all got, you know, all got blue on them because they're from one shepherd or all got red on them because they're from another shepherd. But every now and then, my, my parents would take me to the, the hills behind the little village that they grew up in. And we would, we would go and visit shepherds, like real-life shepherds. And those shepherds not only had sheepdogs that were incredibly tight in their control of a whole flock of sheep, but the shepherd knew all of the sheep in his flock I don't know if he named them very often, but he could communicate with his sheep because they knew he was their shepherd and he knew they were his sheep. It's, it's a lovely way to characterize Jesus and his relationship with us that he says, I know my sheep, I know you, and you know my voice, you hear me speaking to you. And again, as we go through those times where we are shaken, and sometimes we feel deeply and profoundly shaken. The Bible says, well, there's a provision for that. My word has promised you, and my spirit is talking to your spirit. Even in this moment, my spirit is saying to you, he's right. You're my child. That's who you are. There's an enemy of, an enemy of our soul who would like to convince us that this is not true. And so we hear that voice every now and then. But our Savior is our shepherd who knows us by name, who speaks to us. We hear his voice. We know his voice. And his spirit um, is the one who speaks to our spirit and says, yeah, you belong to God as his dear child. And Jesus says, as he explains himself in this sort of metaphor uh, as a shepherd, uh, he says, my father and I are one. So what I say about myself is true about my father. Um, one, one time he's talking to his disciples about praying, and he says, um, 
in that day, you can ask the Father for anything. And he says, oh, no, I, I don't mean that you can ask in my name. You can ask him because the Father himself loves you, which is a lovely realization that in a day when having a patron was the only way you could transact business, um, Jesus said, oh, you're going to tend to think of me as your patron, that I will take your request to the Father, and he will answer your request. No, you don't need, you don't need to do that, um, because the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me. So are you safe and secure this morning? Uh, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have understood and believed th this marvelous gospel of his, then the Spirit wants to just take away the clutter and tell your spirit that you're God's child. Jesus himself wants to whisper in your ear and say, you're my sheep. You know my voice. You hear my voice. Now just listen. For some of us, we say, well, I never actually hear God talking to me the way preachers say God does and the way other people say God does. The Enneagram may explain that. Because sometimes we may revert to just go, going in our heads. Um, my head, like the uh, type 5 that we talked about last week, my head is a very busy place. It's a very noisy place. It has all kinds of stuff going on all the time. So I need to find a time and a place and a space of silence to say, could my shepherd please just whisper to me? Could your Holy Spirit just tell me again? that I am your son. I need to know. He will keep me. Is a lovely concept. I would just pray. Father, thank you that Jesus will hold us fast. That as our lives wobble and shake, um, that you have provided stability, security, safety, um, and it's all been done. So, Father, help us just to exercise the faith that is necessary for us to um, believe into what we know is true, that you can be glorified by the lives that we live. In Jesus' name, amen.